0: This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 26th episode of The Quarterbin, I'm not looking at the book I said I would be looking at at the end of the 25th episode of The Quarterbin. Instead, I'm looking at the books I got at free comic book day this year. Because as my listeners are keenly aware, free is less than 25 cents. But first, a little feedback. In episode 22, we talked about issue 195 of Iron Man. In that issue, I confessed to a minor change of what qualified as a quarter-bin book. The irredeemable Shag complained about the retcon reboot nature of this move. Do the previous 21 episodes even matter anymore? Are you going to start wearing Kryptonian armor when you record? Shag was also very exercised about my treatment of the guest star of that issue. What? What? Did you just dismiss Shaman of the beloved and most holy Alpha Flight? What the heck is happening there at Relatively Geeky HQ? Unsubscribe! I'm pretty sure he was kidding. I'm pretty sure he was kidding. You may remember, in that episode, I also included some pre-feedback from big Iron Man fan Luke Giaconetti. Yet somehow, that did not stop him from sending post-feedback as well. You mentioned the question of the month in the letter column regarding an artist's favorite Marvel work, and Luke McDonald's response of Iron Man 182. For those who may not have read it, 182 is the story of Tony Stark living on the streets of Manhattan in a drunken stupor, fighting to keep a newborn baby and mother alive during the middle of a blizzard. It is a turning point in the storyline and features one of the most striking covers of the entire series, Tony pathetic figure huddled against a brick wall amidst the storm, with the cover copy emulating graffiti, telling us, in the morning, Tony Stark will be sober, or dead. They don't make them like that anymore. You know, stealing an idea from Scott Gardner of Two True Freaks, my screensaver is a random rotation of the covers of the books in my collection, and whenever that one comes up, I've got to admit, I definitely notice it. I did thank Luke for pointing that out, as I definitely missed the boat on not looking up that information myself. Zeb Oswald posted on the Facebook about this episode. I liked the last episode you did covering Rhodes and Talisman's father. I was always more of a fan of Liz as a character than her dad, Shaman. Still, cool podcast. Thanks, Zeb. I did not get any emails specifically about the Primordial's Issue from episode 23, that was a book from Techno Comics. But Zeb did comment on Facebook talking about his experiences with the Techno Comics line. Cool podcast. I read the Gene Roddenberry one, I think. That would be Lost Universe, by the way. I thought about getting Mike Danger, the Mickey Spillane one, but I never picked up Prime Mortals. The Alien comic just wasn't for me. I thought about getting Mr. Hero but didn't for some reason. I remember there being a Lady Justice or something like that. I think Lady Justice and Mr. Hero were both developed by Neil Gaiman. And not to engage in shameless self-promotion, but Emily and I talk about one of these techno-comics titles —it would be a spoiler if I told you which one— on an upcoming episode of Shortbox Showcase, also available on the same website and feed as this show. That actually may end up being a previous episode of Shortbox Showcase. You know, wibbly-wimey, timey-wimey, podcasty sort of thing. That sentence kind of got away from me, didn't it? Stacy Thompson posted a funny message also on Facebook. I haven't really had time to branch out to new podcasts. Heck, I can't even keep up with my own boyfriend's podcasts. That would be Trentus Magnus. But I have to say, I love your promo. Most of them I heard, I fast forward through but I always listen to yours. Oh, thanks, Stacy, even though you won't ever hear this. Well, maybe Trennis will listen and play this for her. Episode 24 featured our second visit to inner space, Micronauts number 7. Ben Avery loved this one. He emailed in with the subject line, Micronauts and Man-Thing, chocolate in my peanut butter. He did admit that the Man-Thing appearance in Micronauts was a bit of a funky crossing of the streams. The thing about this comic is that the Man-Thing portion actually reads like a typical, if not stellar, Man-Thing story. Man-Thing is always an inactive observer, and this little tale here of Man-Thing being drawn to someone who has an emotional situation going on is what I love about Man-Thing stories in general, especially when Steve Gerber was writing them. Man-Thing is rarely an interesting character, Instead, he has an interesting element that steps into and changes someone else's story. So you hope, when you read a Man-Thing story, that the someone else will be interesting. What doesn't work for me in this story, Ben continues, the story. I think you're 100% right in your assumption that Mantlo was asked to include Man-Thing in that month's issue to put Man-Thing back out there in the comic reading public's eye again. Ben also commented on the Facebook post for this episode, echoing his above comments: "My favorite swamp monster and my favorite comic book toy tie-in together again. Man, I have to reread these comics." Then he went on to brag about how he found the entire run in cheap bins at a store in Ontario a few years back. Zeb Oswald also commented on that post: "Cool podcast, as always, Alan." kind of interesting to hear there was a Man-Thing Micronauts crossover. Ed Moore, host of many podcasts at Teal Productions, part of the comic book noise wing of the Podosphere, also commented that Micronauts was my favorite Marvel licensed property, and one of my top from any comic publisher. Back in the day, I had a near complete collection of the Mego toys. Well, good for you, Ed. Thanks for all the feedback, everybody. I'd be doing the show with nobody listening as an excuse to read this crazy potpourri of books, but it does make it a little more interesting to know that there are people actually listening and enjoying it. So, thanks a lot, everyone. Okay, after this quick promo that you shouldn't just fast-forward through, we'll be back to talk about what I got at free comic book day. Are you a geek? Do you like comic books? love technology? into computers? or maybe science fiction? Then the Radical Geek video podcast is for you. I'm your host, Bill Horsecutter, and I will show you the, both the fanish and technical sides of Geekdom. So check it out at www.radicalgeek.me. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Mego action figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburban garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out. It's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, which is, of course, the home of the 2 True Freaks Network. Duh. And we're back. My daughter Emily went back to her old college town on free comic book day. In addition to visiting a buddy who was studying for final exams, she hit her old LCS. The way that that store does free comic book day is that they had four books available, and Emily picked up three of them, a DC and a pair of Marvels, and I read all three of them. First up, the new 52, Futures End number zero, Into the Future. From what I can tell, this issue was written and drawn by bunches and bunches of people. We are 35 years from now, and the DCU is a mess. We have a grizzled, white-bearded Flash working with Captain Cold to fight against a half-mechanized Wonder Woman who wants to assimilate them into Brother Eye. Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, has already assimilated Black Canary into himself, and her shriek takes down Flash we see many other characters whose lower extremities have been replaced by mechanical insect-type bodies. A non-assimilated Jon Stewart with great temples that really go good with a Green Lantern uniform run into an insect-bodied Superman. It does not go well for John. Bruce Wayne is still among the non-assimilated, and we learn that he and Mr. Terrific were instrumental in setting up the Brother Eye network. Bruce is attacked, and as he lies dying, he sends his protege, young Terry McGinnis, a.k.a. Batman Beyond, back to the current day to set things right by stopping Bruce's plans. But the coordinates are a bit off, and he lands five years later than he wanted, meaning that what he traveled to the past to delay... Has already begun. This seemed to me to be an interesting combination of stories and concepts I've seen many times before. But I guess if you want to see the Borg and/or the Cybermen in a DC Comics version of Days of Future's Past, then this is the book for you. The Batman Beyond tie-in makes it interesting to me, and I know that that's actually one of Emily's very favorite versions of Batman. And I've got to say, this is one event in the New 52 that actually does have me intrigued, so I may be looking into more of this story. We also picked up a pair of Marvels tied to the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. First, the Rocket Raccoon issue featured a new story, Business Opportunities, by Joe Caramagna and Adam Archer along with a story in the style of the ultimate Spider-Man cartoon called Oddities, also written by Joe Caramagna, and this time drawn by Ty Templeton. In the lead story, fugitive hero Rocket Raccoon and his buddies Groot the Tree and Mr. Walrus get their little ship hijacked by a big ship full of rabbit folk. The rabbits try to toss them in prison, but that doesn't go well. Rocket finds a princess behind bars and decides to save her, which really messes up the rescue plans her people have for her. Along with the princess, a warrior princess, which comes in handy, Rocket, Groot, and Walrus defeat the rabbit folk and escape. Rocket forgoes the opportunity to turn in the princess, who has a bounty higher on her life than Rocket has on his, but he hopes that the crown he stole from the rabbit king will help pay off some of his own bounty. The backup story featured the animated team of teenage versions of Spidey, White Tiger, Nova, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. On the secret base on the moon, Spidey, Tiger, and Nova find a cute little green alien with a really big gun that somehow wraps up White Tiger like a mummy. Then his thousands of cute little green alien comrades do the same to Nova and Spidey. And they are taken further into the complex, where they find Luke and Danny trapped in glass cages by the evil villain Dr. Rufus Saperstein, DDS. The evil orthodontist, well, is there any other kind, does not see Earthlings as worthy of the blessings of the planet, so he threatens to unleash the deadly ray gun of death. But Nova reveals that he was only staying tied up long enough for the villain to monologue his plans, and he attacks the Doctor. Unfortunately, Nova forgot to release his comrades first, so when he's subdued, our crew of heroes is actually in no better shape. But the supergun overheats, and eventually Spidey subdues the villain, and they live happily ever after until Nick Fury yells at them for various and sundry reasons. This is what a free comic book day should be in my world. Both stories were humorous standalones, and are targeted at the younger side of the age demographic that comics are working so hard to try to appeal to. The artwork in both stories is great, especially Ty Templeton's work in the backup. He manages to make the comic look very much like the animated Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon, which, by the way, my entire family really enjoys. A definite... Free comic book day bargain. The third and final book we have is the Guardians of the Galaxy book, which actually has three stories. The cover story, Welcome to the Guardians of the Galaxy, was written by Bendis, with art by Nick Bradshaw and Scott Hanna. This is prototypical Bendis. A lot of talking, not much else happening other than talking, as a matter of fact. It is Tony Stark describing all of the Guardians to a Corporal Thompson. After the character-by-character discussion, he is introduced to the team as Agent Venom. This story is, again, a very effective story for free comic book day, as it literally introduces the biographies and powers of all the main characters of the team, and as a movie intro-slash-preview, this story works, as well as setting up a story for the ongoing Guardians title. I skimmed the second story, I'll admit, a preview of Jim Starlin's Thanos, The Infinity Revelation, on sale this August. I just don't know enough about what was going on here, and don't expect to be reading this title when it comes out this summer. So the preview wasn't all that interesting to me. The last story, Spider-Man Staging Ground, was written by Dan Slott, with art by Giuseppe Camancoli and John Dell. The story starts following a full-page ad for The Amazing Spider-Man 1.1, which also had the notation, Year One, Learning to Crawl, with the added notation, a fresh spin on Peter Parker's first days of Spider-Man. So I don't know if this story is the 1.1 story. The rebooted Marvel Now Amazing Spider-Man number one just came out. So that could be, or maybe this is a preview for what's coming later in the year, and that was just an ad for the 1.1. Either way, we start in Shakespearean days at the Globe Theatre. The Watson acting troupe, featuring the red-headed actress Marion Jane, is on stage with their featured player, the Spider. And I have to say that the Spider-Man costume with the ruffly Elizabethan collar not a bad look. He ends up challenging audience members to wrestle on stage and he jumps and dives and wall crawls his way to success until the very creepy Morlan clambers on the stage, explains that he is very hungry and whacks around the spider something good. He then steals, or maybe eats, the spider's spirit, his power, his potential. Wandering off, He tells us very soon that all the spiders will die. To be continued in Spider-Verse, coming in November. I actually liked this one as it gave us some of Spidey's humor, but also laid the groundwork for this sort of interesting-sounding storyline, which appears to be bringing together many, if not all, of the iterations of Spider-Man. Slot has toyed with this recently with Spidey 2099 being part of the Superior storyline. This was probably my favorite of the three stories, although being very similar to the first one with the, the Guardians. This one has a more clear direction for where it's going. The Guardians preview just introduced us to the characters, and for a team that obscure, that's needed. But as a single story, I'd rank this Spider-Man tale a bit higher, actually. The verdict on Free Comic Book Day 2014. Uh, It was comics, and they were free. What's not to like about that equation? In terms of ranking these three issues, I'd probably put Rocket Raccoon first, as both of those stories were mostly fun, mostly standalone stories. Second, probably the DC Future's End. I admit that I'm intrigued by the upcoming story, and we'll probably follow people's reviews and comments on it, and then maybe pick up the trades when they become available if I'm still intrigued by what I'm hearing. Although a little of the art was wonky, like Flash's bushy white beard, that event actually does intrigue me, like I said, and, and I did like that it was a full length comic story, even if it was a prologue, for what I imagine will be a much, much longer event. Then third, still a solid free comic book day book, would be the Guardians of the Galaxy. For me, I am way more interested in the movie continuity of Thanos and the Guardians more than their comic book continuity, and I did totally skim slash skip one of the three stories, so yeah, that one's going to come in third. But all three were worth, well, you know, free. Well, that wraps up my coverage of Free Comic Book Day 2014, bringing Episode 26 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. In Episode 27, we'll be looking at the book I previously said I'd cover on this episode, Green Arrow 60, from DC Comics, cover dated early May 1992. And this time, I mean it. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, or of your experiences with Free Comic Book Day 2014, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I am Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at Relatively Geeky Podcast. Dot .blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and "Short Box Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at geeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Sir